So welcome back to Blended. I am joined by another incredible panel of guests. And today we're talking about inclusive workplaces and how to create them. Employers are increasingly coming to recognize the strong business case for improving the level of diversity and inclusion within their workforce. The problem is that they don't always know how to go about fostering those all important diverse workplaces. Many hiring practices are seen as outdated. There's a lack of diversity at senior leadership level to support the creation of inclusive workforces and the understanding of how to nurture and retain that inclusion over a period of time within a deep culture is often lacking. It is really a high priority for the industry right now, so we're going to dive into it today and as always, see if we can provide some inspiration and ideas to take back to your own organizations. So welcome Desiree, Jonathan, Pervy, and Brian, who are going to share their thoughts on all of this with us today. And I'm just very thankful for you all for joining us. So let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Desiree, we're going to start with you. Sure. My name is Desiree Booker. I'm the founder and CEO of Color Vision Lab. We are an inclusive employer branding consultancy and our clients depend on us to enhance, accelerate and complement their in-house DEI and HR teams. Um, my pronouns are she, hers, and I am a cisgender black woman. Awesome, thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. All right, Brian. I'm uh, Brian Glick, I'm the founder and CEO at Chain.io. We are a supply chain software company. Uh, and uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I identify as a pretty boring middle-aged white guy with a really interesting, diverse family hidden behind that. Well, and you run a company that has been really just an inclusive workplace to admire, I think. So I'm really excited for you to be here and share your thoughts on that. Thank you so much for being here. Jonathan. Hi, I'm Jonathan Townsley. I go by JT. My pronouns are he, him. I really identify myself as a, a mixed race uh, individual male. Uh, but yeah, like Brian said, I, I come from a, a diverse family. Uh, a lot of uh, European folks, uh, a lot of uh, folks that uh, are African-American. And uh, really, I've taken that forward in, in my workplace at Sterling, and we work to really provide uh, background checks for individuals and identity verification. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And last but absolutely not least, Pervy. Hi, everyone. I'm Pervy Condal. I actually head a strategic sourcing function. I am a female. I, my my uh, preference, uh, preferred nouns are she and her. And I am of the Indian uh, American descent. I've spent time, I was born in India, but I've grown up here for the most part, but I have memories of you know, India as well. And I actually had the sourcing function here at Sephora. Um, however, my career has expanded to head sourcing procurement and vendor management functions for multiple large companies uh, who are looking to transform those areas. Absolutely. And super excited to hear your point of view on everything today as well. And for me, my name is Sarah Barnes Humphrey. I am the founder and host of the Blended Podcast, as well as the Blended Pledge. 
Uh, my pronouns are she and her. I am a Caucasian female from Toronto, got some bonus children and some fur babies, and just really excited to have this conversation today. So can we start by just spending maybe a few minutes talking about inclusive workplaces? So what do we mean exactly by that phrase, inclusive workplaces? Which groups of people might we be talking about? Desiree, I want to start this off with you. Sure. When we think about inclusive workplaces, I mean, we're thinking about the entire employee population and, you know, just all of our employees who work for us and the, the specific communities they belong to. So when we think about marginalized communities, some groups that come to mind are obviously uh, racially diverse individuals, ethnically diverse, gender neurodiversity, people with disabilities, um, working moms, you know, uh, caregivers. And, you know, those are some groups that tend to be overlooked a lot. But I think it, it means taking time to understand the individual needs of each of those groups, understanding the unique challenges and inequities they face in the workplace and, um, and figuring out how we can kind of create a level playing field so that everyone has an opportunity to thrive in their respective roles. Um, when we think about inclusion in the workplace, I also think of, um, you know, making sure that we're creating space for people to feel empowered to speak up, um, to contribute their thoughts, their ideas, to express themselves, to look the way that they want. Um, really just, you know, a space where people feel free to be them. It sounds yeah. a little cliche, but that's what I think. <laughs> Show up and be themselves and um, taking a look at somebody holistically, right? Because I think sometimes yeah. we don't look at, at people as, as individuals and, and wholly of who they are at work and as a person. Brian, as a CEO of a company who has really mastered, well, trying to master inclusive culture and workplaces, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I think that trying to master is the key. Yeah. Right, uh, that the effort, you know, as as uh, as Desiree was talking, I was thinking we fail at diversity and inclusion every day at our company, mm. uh, but we're always trying to do it better, right? And that, you know, for uh, for for me at least, and I, I almost think this is sort of a personal thing to talk about, well, more so than it's hard to speak for an entire company, uh, but it's about sort of understanding that everyone brings their own very intersectional tapestry of themselves. And that it's about, for us, giving people the, the platform to be successful, not saying, okay, well, you know, you are going to be in this box and this box and this box, and therefore we want you, we are, we have a program for those and you must, you know, match the, cultural traditions of your Indian heritage or your cultural traditions of your Jewish heritage or whatever it is. Otherwise, you're not going to fit in that box. So for us, it's about um, understanding that people bring them, their full selves to the table and that you have to make space for that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to hear a little bit more about how you've done that and what that kind of looks like a little bit more in the conversation later on. Pervy, you said off camera that one of the reasons why you're at the company that you're at is because of their inclusion. So what does that inclusive workplace look like for you? And, and what are some of the things that you kind of expect from that? You know, it's a it's sort of a, it's one of these things. I think we feel always that uh, 
we shouldn't be judged. And we find that I think, you know, to Brian's point, right, that sort of the judgment statement's been there for so long that, you know, organizations, um, it requires intentionality, not just of an organization. An organization is full of a bunch of people, right? Individuals like you, me, and all of us, right? And it takes intentionality in all of our parts to do that. And so a lot of, for me, it starts intentionality, starts at the top, right? And then it can permeate down. And what and one of the things I had observed about Sephora, even before I joined, it was an organization uh, when the George Floyd incident happened. I looked at what they were doing when it came to diversity. It was one of the first retailer that actually had a racial study done well before George Floyd happened. So that, again, that demonstrated to me was an intentionality of the organization to be more diverse, more inclusive, all of that, right, across the board. And so it was always on my radar. And, you know, so I've looked at them. I've sort of put it as a pedestal. So this is how you do it, right? Um, so it's been amazing, right? And I see that. I, I've there are things that our diversity and inclusion head and, you know, our chief people officer and our CEO, they talk about diversity. When I hear that, I'm just like, wow, other, other organizations aren't even talking about these things, neurodiversity, mm-hmm. disability, I mean, you name it, right? And I just think it's an amazing thing to experience. And, um, you know, and, and my gosh, you know, one day, hopefully our kids and our grandchildren, you know, they're going to not look at this area as this sort of Thing we have to do extra but rather just part of our dna right so that mm-hmm. so for me I, that's probably in a nutshell like you know and um how how i feel about what diversity and inclusion means a lot of it for all of us right for me personally also it's an experience right i've seen experiences that were not diverse not inclusive so be able to get that in an organization that's just like very powerful yeah i like what you said part of the dna right? Like when we can just show up and we don't have to talk about (laughs) this particular topic, but it's about the corporation's DNA. It's about our DNA. It's about each one of us sort of showing up and being intentional, um, not only for ourselves, but also for others as well. Jonathan, what are your thoughts on inclusive workplace? What's important to you? Well, I I really like what, what Desiree said in that Sometimes it's not always about you know, a certain race or maybe a gender, but maybe even people that are experiencing some challenge, like maybe working moms or you know, somebody that has a, a disability or maybe somebody that is just having a, a rough time outside of the workplace. What can we do to make sure that we're helping them, make sure that we're listening and understanding the, the challenges that they're going through? And what support can we offer to to make sure that they not only uh, can thrive in life, but thrive at the workplace? Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why we cover a wide variety of topics on this podcast. We did an episode about OCD, you know, and some people are like, well, what does that have to do with diversity and inclusion? Well, it has everything to do with diversity and inclusion, because if you have somebody that you work with that has OCD, you want to understand it right? You want to understand maybe why they ask you a question three times if if that's what they need to do. And so that you can understand it and help support them the way that they need to, to feel supported, right? I think a lot of times it's, we try to put how we think everything should be, and we don't necessarily ask the individual. And so that brings me to the next question about what challenges do we face around creating that inclusive workplace? Because 
you know, like Brian said, it's a work in progress. Um, and a lot of mistakes are made. And sometimes we get vilified for those mistakes. Um, when sometimes we should necessarily be honored for the fact that we just did it potentially, right? We made that, we made that step. We did whatever that looks like. And I think mistakes are going to be made. I think challenges are are what we need to have in order for us to move forward and really make this something as a part of the DNA. Desiree, what do you think? You know, I think as you were speaking, it, it it reminded me of just some some very current issues that I'm facing with some of my client groups, you know, and some of the things we're seeing in the business. I think a huge challenge around, you know, really mobilizing workplace diversity and inclusion is getting, you know, so this you have the executive level leaders that are on board and they they want to drive these initiatives. But I think mobilizing and galvanizing the rest of the organization from the top down mm-hmm. to get on board can be a challenge, you know, especially when you're in industries. We have a, a, a major a PR a client that's in the PR industry where they're very much driven by the client work. You know, it's billable hours. It's, you know, we can't afford to take time away from, you know, our desk to do these things or even allow our employees to participate in coaching, which is a part of some DEI initiatives. So you're constantly up against um, how do we get the middle managers, you know, the VPs, the directors, that level of management on board to, uh, be held accountable for helping to sustain this work and drive this work. Another um, uh, mistake that I see often, I mean, there's so much DEI leader burnout, right? So Mm. we have chief diversity officers who have this insurmountable amount of work and expectations, uh, you know, of, of executive leadership on their shoulders. And they're very seldom equipped with the resources um, and the support, or even sometimes the decision-making power to get the work done. So, you know, I think that those are two very timely issues. And it's, it's, it's even more um, challenging because a lot of the people in these CDO roles are, a lot of them are black people. A lot of them are black women. A lot of them are Latina women, you know, so it's, it's challenging. I would say those are my top two right now. Thank you for sharing that because it's it's easy to take a look at this and say, you know, we need to be inclusive, et cetera, et cetera. But the people doing the work internally, I mean, for you to say that there is burnout, um, I know in the supply chain industry, there's burnout ac- across the board, but for diversity and inclusion leaders who are supposed to be driving these organizations forward to create these inclusive workplaces, to be burnt out already, because I feel like we're just at the beginning, is a huge, huge, huge challenge. And we're going to have to figure out how better to support them. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. Pervy, I think you have something to add there. Yeah, I kind of go back to, I think that to get it into our DNA, you have to get past the tokenism right? It's that mm-hmm. intentionality, right? So those those that are very passionate about it, allies and people who are diverse and, you know, have that, that, that desire, everyone is working hard, but there's a much larger pool of people who are just, if they're just going to stand by the sideline or just barely do enough or not do it all, 
or take it as a, hey, it's not my problem because it's not happening to me. If we don't get past that, you're going to see continued burnout. And we're not going to incorporate mm. that. Right? That to me is important to say, how do you as individual, doesn't matter what race you are, you know, whether you're disabled or not, mom or not, even those who are not moms, right? They also have, you know, challenges, right? So how do we sort of get to that place to say this, there's a benefit in it for all of us, not just mm-hmm. for a particular population of people. I think that's, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, some people, when you talk to them about DEI, they're like, really? Like, that's a heavy lift, man. Like, you know, how are we even going to do it? Like, if we even try something, we still have a long way to go. And I think the way maybe that we we speak about it, you know, making sure that people understand it's a journey and that there's going to be mistakes made, challenges that come up. I think that we need to get through that. I think there's a conversation that almost needs to be had ahead of time around, no guys, we're in this together. And if you make a mistake, it's going to be okay. We're going to talk about it, but it's going to be okay. Because I think a lot of people also are really, really scared of making that mistake, saying something wrong right? I think that's a huge challenge too, is, is around language. Brian, I think you had your, your hand up, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, I, um, you know, as a CEO, you know, and and I've, uh, you know, who's doesn't, you know, visually look like somebody who would be part of, of a traditional, you know, be put in a DEI role. Um, you know, I reflect a lot on, kind of this statement that I've learned, you know, over the last few years that, you know, racism is a white people problem and that you can, you can transfer that philosophy to this, that, you know, worry, you know, taking care of making sure that there's a space for people who are returning to the workforce from whatever reason they left the workforce is a problem to be solved by the people who are already in the seats, not by those people. They don't have to, it's not their job to go back and change their history. Uh, Or, you know, when you think about maternity and paternity leave, and, you know, that is the the job of the people who are there during the leave to make sure that that person, that you keep the appropriate notes and messaging so that that person can come back to a job that still functions. Um, You know, so, you know, and ultimately, you know, if if the CEOs don't understand that, it's really, really hard because diversity groups, in my opinion, and and I will say I haven't worked in a large company since long before any of this was real, um, but in my opinion, are there to enable other people to have good behaviors, not to make the good behaviors, right? So the making of the good behaviors really is a CEO problem, in my, in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. I like that perspective. Desiree? Yeah, Sarah, you you said something earlier that um, I found to be interesting, and 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 you mentioned that some people are afraid of saying the wrong thing, and it's it's very much true, and it, I feel like it's something that I've heard very often since 2020, and I think that um, it made sense. It makes it still makes sense in some contexts, in some situations, but in some and other situations, it feels a bit like a cop-out, you know, to me, mm-hmm. because you saying the wrong, we, we all say the wrong thing at some point, you know, even though I identify as a member of several marginalized communities, 
there are other marginalized individuals that I'm not as educated about. I know one, one for example, I'm very much educating myself around the transgender community, you know, because you can't just lump them into, uh, you know, the LGBTQIA umbrella because they have a very unique set of uh, experiences that I'm not familiar with. So I have been called out on saying the wrong thing or asking questions in the incorrect way. And I think as long as we're approaching it from a place of education and learning, we, ha we have to be willing to have these bold conversations instead of shying away and saying, oh, I'm just too afraid to say the wrong thing. I don't think that's acceptable anymore. I actually agree with you. Um, and the reason why I brought it up was because it's a challenge. People use it as a crutch. They use it as an excuse for themselves, but I also believe at this point, it's a bit of a crutch. Um, I think part of the other challenge too is around taking things personally, taking them out of context. So it's, it's about what is said, but it's also about how it's received and how it's reciprocated. And so really when we're talking about this, it really comes down to communication and how we take what we've learned about communication and we change it because Things are changing. Things are different. Conversations are different. How we approach things, how we think about things has changed a lot. And so relearning that communication and understanding that it's just a conversation and not taking things personally or, or conversation with education, right? Somebody just trying to educate rather than uh, shame, right? Yeah. Because there's a, there's a lot of shame when it comes with some of these conversations where somebody will feel shame if they've said something wrong. And they're being educated on it. And that's where the feeling of I take this personally comes out and how we have to re almost re-educate ourselves around how to communicate. Absolutely. I completely agree. And when you even think about communication and break that down a bit further, how can you have transparent communication without having rapport with someone. So even just taking the first step in building rapport and getting to know people genuinely and understanding how to best approach them, that is the, the basis of being able to, to deliver feedback and give these suggestions that are very uncomfortable. Um, I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I just no, want to add good. that because I thought that was an interesting point. <laughs> it's good. Brian is like all over this thing. So I'm, 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 well, I'm confident a bit here. I also don't want to dominate, but I actually want to disagree a little bit. Um, I, I often think about the career arc of how, how, no, I can't say his name, Schultz at, uh, at, at Starbucks, who started his career and his, his public persona as this person who was a very big proponent of this, but a lot of the actions of the company didn't match his communication, mm. right? So it's one thing to say you, you're very supportive of all of this, and then, you know, there has been, you know, sort of a feeling amongst the employees, okay, you can say that on one hand, but then you look at the way our work schedules are built, or you look at the way that you know, our, our, our lived experience inside the company is, and when, you know, and, and, you know, I actually, my personal opinion is that he's just disconnected from that and doesn't realize, but that this, this, the actions, if you do the actions with, you know, an intentional way, um, and even if they're wrong, if people see that you're trying to do the right thing with what you do and the, and the policies and the, the behaviors, they're going to give you a lot more leeway if you screw up the communication, mm -hmm. right? As opposed, you know, and look, nobody, the same way that people always say, you know, when they offer you a, a job title instead of a raise, you say, I can't take the job title to the bank and pay my mortgage with it. Yeah. It's, it's the actions that people, 
you know, that let somebody go to their kid's event or go to a doctor's appointment or, you know, uh, you know, feel safe in the workplace, not, you know, and then the communication to me comes second to the actions uh, because you have to earn the communication with the behaviors. So and now I I'm definitely that, nominating. So. No, no, no. I think that that's a really great point. And I'm glad that you brought it up. I think where I was coming from was more on like a one-on-one community, like communication. Mm -hmm. And what you brought up is really from an organization or workplace standpoint, as a company, your actions need to speak louder than just the words. And I think you're right about that. I think if the CEO is going to go out and talk about um, talk about this and being behind diversity and inclusion. I definitely think the actions and all the people behind him have to line up, you know, and, and make sure that they're all practicing that behavior as well. And I think also too, in one-on-one -on -one interactions, um, actions do speak louder than words as well. Um, but I, you know, we approach these conversations and one of the things that I want to talk about is bias. And I think, you know, there's a lot of discussion around inclusive workplaces and the inherent bias that we bring, either as an organization, as a person to a conversation, as a person to an organization. You know, sometimes people look at me and they're like, you know, what do you know about diversity and inclusion? You know, and I'm like, well, my family, I have Korean, right? My, my, my husband is Trinidadian. My sister-in-law is Korean. And I have a lot of a blended family that a lot of people don't necessarily know. And so we come with this bias. We come with, oh, well, you look like that. So <laughs> you don't know, right? Or, you know, you're going to say the wrong thing. Or if you say the wrong thing, I might not have you know, grace for you potentially or something like that, right? And so I want to talk about the role that bias plays in inclusive workplaces because everybody comes with it. And so how do we sort of get over that? How do we make that a part of communication and normalize it? Because I don't think we can get away with it. I think we have biases all over the place. And yeah. so I wonder how we can normalize it to make it a part of, or at least something towards that inclusive workplace. Jonathan, you have it. I'm going to get to you pervy as well, but Jonathan, what do you think? You know, I, I think it all goes back to the idea of being afraid of making a mistake. I think uh, a lot of people feel that they'll be punished immediately or, or somehow uh, vilified or just you know, treated in some negative way if they ask a question, if they say something the wrong way. So we have to build up in our cultures and in our workplaces that you shouldn't be afraid to make that mistake. Yeah, I mean, be mindful of it, but don't be afraid. I think that that keeps a lot of us from trying and uh, attempting to reach out if we're always afraid of being punished for making a mistake. And open to receiving, open to receiving whatever the response is, right? Yeah. That education piece or or whatever that looks like. I think that's a really important point. Pervy. Yeah, I was going to make a couple of points. One is kind of, I agree with you, Sarah, that I would say the open to receiving has to be not with bias in mind, right? And a lot of times, right? That's hard. People, right? That people, they're like, hey, I want to give you feedback, but I have zero ability to want to take that feedback mm. on the other direction, right? And sometimes it is, right? It's some, you know, if it's a member of a minority community, diverse community, right? They may want to give feedback on something, but that's why there's the fear that comes in. Right or vice versa, right? So I think those are. I think that's an important element. I think going back to Brian's point, right? To me, I kind of go back to organization, right? The the burden that the CEO and others carry 
I think to me, it's an individual responsibility, right? Like for me, I want, I want to make sure that my actions reflect diversity and inclusion, right? I'm going to do everything in my power to be overtly inclusive, right? And yes, you know, you can show by, right? Actions speak louder than words, right? And I think if we kind of really start to look at our own individual actions, we'll make huge progress versus uh, I kind of say in transformation work I do, there's this notion that, you know, when you're doing change, some guy or gal is going to land in and just going to make all the change for me. And then everything's going to be smooth sailing. And the reality is change starts from us. It starts from within. So mm -hmm. same way for diversity, in order for it to be truly embraced, we individually have to embrace it. And that's how we can get better at it, right? Yeah. So I, those, are, those have been some of my observation. And a lot of times I look at it and I'm kind of say, I don't, do you not see this? <laughs> or am I just the only one, right? So, so I just think it's important to self-reflect and give ourselves room to self-reflect. That's the only way we're going to learn, to your point, Sarah, right? Education, communication, all of them is not going to be, not going to get through any one of us, you know, myself included, unless I'm open to receiving that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when you're building your team, um, how do you approach it without bias? I actually make it a point to be very overtly inclusive. Uh, obviously, as a minority and a diverse woman, I've experienced my tremendous amount of share of, you know, uh, those challenges, right? Where I've had, you know, people who didn't want to listen to me because I was a woman or because I was an immigrant or because I was a minority, right? And, and or all of the above. And so I make it a point to really, I try to bring people into the conversation because I do want to know their point of view, Right. I do make it clear that diversity is important. Um, I, you know, when I observe, you know, biased behavior, I make it a point to kind of share with them, hey, did you think about this thing instead, right? Um, I've had people that have said, hey, you know, I couldn't understand the person, their communication was off and they wanted to write off the person. I said, you know, they're, they speak a little bit differently than you do and you and I do, but you got to give them a chance. You can't just, you know, write them off because of that, right? So things like that, right? It's it's that intentionality. So I try to always make sure that people understand that. I will say historically, I, just like Jonathan's point, you know, I had a fear of sharing, you know, some things myself, right? Because mm -hmm. of, for a point of being, you know, literally smacked down and <laughs> squatted down, right? And I think it's really in the George Floyd's time and since then, I've become more vocal about being who I am and just say, here's my point of view. I may have a different point of view than someone else and you may disagree with me. That's okay. I would like to have that conversation, right? And and that's been my journey. And I think it's a journey I'm probably going to have for the rest of my career, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in my life. And probably done some, right? Yeah, I think that's an important point, I think, for everybody to really realize is that it is a journey, right? And we've talked about that a couple of times. Now, Desiree, I know you work with, I think you said you work with HR professionals. And in some of the conversations that I've had about DEI, some people say it's HR's responsibility. Some people say that it's not HR's responsibility, um, but there's inherent bias around hiring and HR's responsibility is to usually to help hire people. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on this? Because you're, you're working in that profession. What are you seeing around bias? How are, how are we getting through some of the bias? And what do we do when the bias is there? 
You know, I have to agree with uh, quite a few of Kirby's points and and that you're engaging your partners and engaging other stakeholders in the hiring process as you go along. Um, DEI does not sit with HR. That is, it sits with every function across the business. Um, When you think about the impact of DEI, it impacts the communities you serve, the customers you serve, your employees, your investors, it impacts everyone. So, you know, when you think about bias, I mean, when you have other stakeholders who are a part of those recruitment processes and hiring conversations, you have conversations with them um, about candidates. And you can say, like, you know, are we being inclusive in how we're considering this candidate? And also that kind of comes back to just having fair and standardized hiring practices as well. You know, so asking people the same questions in every interview, having, um, you know, uh, scorecards for candidates, using different softwares or doing it by hand in terms of of, um, removing different identifiers or demographic information from applications or resumes, um, not requiring people who um, to have degrees and things like that. Those are all very simple things that you can do, but we're all human beings. So it, bias is going to creep up at some point. You just have to be able to recognize it and check it when it's happening. Yes. Recognize and check it. Now we've talked about action speaking louder than words. And I found a white paper that was conducted in the UK, um, but I'm sure the stats are fairly similar in the US, that 85% of employers say that increasing diversity in their workplace is a priority and almost half do not have programs in place to attract diverse candidates. What do you say to that, Brian? Because you were talking about how actions speak louder than words and, you know, you do promote an inclusive workplace? Um, I think it's, look, as, as far as the having programs in place part, there's a, a scale of company. Programs look different at different scales, right? So I, I can only speak from a, a company of under 100 employees. Uh, and for us, programs means, um, you know, that our people, operations people, know that their job is to create a great workplace, not to prevent us from getting sued. Uh, and that frankly, if they have to pick between the two, I'd rather they pick uh, making a great workplace and taking the risk uh, and and creating that space. Um, you know, I think that as far as, you know, the programs themselves, you know, I, I don't know that at our scale, we're ready for that. And I almost worry sometimes that the programs are an excuse to isolate something or an excuse to uh, take it from being a, a the superpower that it can be uh, to think about diversity in your everyday activities and give it this box over here that we do this at Wednesday between two and three. Uh, I know you and I are on a DEI committee right now for an event and the conversations I've had with the chairperson of the of the organization that's running the event that we won't talk about, uh, you know, is that, you know, the DEI committee is thinking about a DEI event at a DEI program at the event, but they're not thinking about DEI for the event as a whole. As a whole, uh, and I think that that, you know, I think a lot of this comes. This is on the fly for me, so this might make no sense, but from like the way that we did. Um, the way we did volunteering, right? 
when, when, when volunteering came into the workplace, I'm just old enough to remember when that wasn't really a thing. Um, <laughs> it was like sort of, okay, well, that's a thing you do the third Wednesday in July, mm. right, for two hours, and it's over here. And then we sort of took DEI and said, oh, well, HR is good at doing this on the third Wednesday of July. Well, on the, you know, second Tuesday of December, we'll be diverse. And that, as opposed to making people learn how to, like, understand that they have biases and that's okay, and then realize that that's a superpower once you acknowledge that, that you can make better hiring decisions because you know this about yourself, right? And so very true. I get I get a little freaked out sometimes about programs getting having the great intentions and the wrong outcomes. And that that is extremely true. I mean, at the end of the day, like we're talking about today, is that everybody has bias. We're not going to get rid of bias. It's kind of human nature. But what we can do is we can educate our people. We can educate ourselves to, like Desiree said, recognize and check. And I think really at the end of the day, that's what we can ask of people, right? But the education component as to why that's important is really important as well. Jonathan, you've been sitting there nodding your head. Do you want to jump in here? <laughs> you know, a, we talk about biases. It's really an interesting topic because right now Sterling is in the midst of always trying to help uh, companies find good people so yeah. that their their workplace is inclusive. And one of the things that we're seeing is that uh, you know, people don't want to hire someone that has been convicted of a, a crime, even though it was a long time ago, um, or even if it was just recently, maybe just don't want to give the person a second chance. So we're, we're trying to promote that idea that, yeah, that that is an area where you can tap into and actually see success uh, for your company and that individual will realize uh, a benefit that you could change their lives. So it's, it's really interesting that the first time uh, people hear that they just shy away or say no, but there, there really is value in exploring that. And it, it all comes from the, from the bias. From the bias. So what are some of the solutions? What are some of the things that you're doing um, to help others get over that bias? Well, in, in Sterling's case, uh, we're showing the, the benefits of really having that, that person in their workforce. Where right now, in many industries, there's just a shortage of, of people. Uh, there's no one to, to fill the job, such as you know, a, a gig driver working for Uber or for Lyft. Uh, but if you were to give this person a second chance, you would actually see uh, an uptick in your, your business. You would keep customers happy. And you would, like I said earlier, turn that person's life around because they were given that second chance. So we're pointing out with data uh, the opportunities that could lie ahead and that could really be life-changing. Awesome work that you guys are doing. Um, because when we talk about inclusion, we're talking about including everybody. And that is one point that I haven't talked about on this uh, particular podcast. And I think it might be something that we should. So I appreciate you for bringing that up, Brian. Uh, so one of the things that when we think about bringing younger people into the workforce, which is something we all understand you have to do this, right? That, that you're, you're, you're going to hire younger people and you're going to 
train them on things that they didn't learn in their, you know, in, in their life journey so far. Like, you know, oftentimes we hire people and it's, if it's their first full-time job, the how to behave in a meeting or how to go visit a customer and how you should like present yourself when you walk into the building at a large company, right? These are skills that people mid and late career kind of forget that they had to learn. Um, one of the things with, with bringing people, you know, who are re-entering society or who are, you know, coming from a, a position where they may not uh, have had that lived experience is you, you, you do have to be conscious about um, understanding that part of your responsibility, if you're going down that path, is to educate those people on things that they may not have learned in their life, mm-hmm. right? And that it's not just, hey, I'm, we're going to be more diverse. I'm going to go hire a bunch of people who don't look like me and expect them to have had my entire lived experience Mm -hmm. and therefore know how to, you know, go to a conference and not get drunk. Right. Right. Like that's a thing that I know because I was taught that in my very privileged lived experience, but you can't just like, like there's a whole thinking of how do I include people in my company who come from different experiences you have to think about that. It doesn't just come for free, right? So yeah. that's, but it's also the fun part because you get to learn a lot. Yeah. So talk to us about that. Talk us through what that can look like for an organization. What do you put together? What do you do? What does that look like? Uh, for us, and there may be people more qualified on this to talk about this in large, for okay. large organizations. It's a lot of times it's making a mis- letting someone, we're seeing someone make a mistake and not hitting them. Right, we're not hitting them too hard, and and knowing okay, now we have now we know that our onboarding program should include something about whatever that mistake was, and just iteratively getting better, but not saying oh that person's got to go because they made X mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Because they you know didn't realize that even though we wear jeans to work every day, you can't wear jeans to you know go visit you know when when we you know if you're going to go go to a, a congressman's office that's not appropriate right like whatever random thing right i'm trying to pick some pretty non-controversial examples here but like whatever those things are that that's an opportunity to educate and then to incorporate that education into the employee onboarding process not an opportunity to like just beat someone into submission yeah Desiree. Uh, I thought, I think that this is a great point that you've made, Brian, just around, um, you know, kind of help bridging some of those skills gaps, experience gaps. And I think that uh, talent pipeline programs are really great for doing that. You know, we, if, if, if it's a talent pipeline program for entry-level talent, experience hires, uh, you know, specific demographic groups, you know, so there's tons of them specifically for populations like HBCUs and Black Greek letter orgs or um, engineering, um, people who are in engineering or the sciences who belong to racially diverse backgrounds. But I think this kind of goes back to understanding these individual populations and building talent programs that include a mix of development, exposure, mentorship, that really helps to bridge those gaps. Um, And then it also even made me think about just my own recent experience in hiring. We just onboarded um, a 
an account executive and uh, I revamped our entire kind of uh, hiring and onboarding process. And one thing that I did differently is really hire based on values alignment. And I think a lot of times this is overlooked. So making sure that values are clearly communicated in the job description, in the interview, in the onboarding process. If you say that transparent communication is a value, if you say that authenticity or um, whatever it is, there has to be, um, they have to be experiencing that and engaged in that throughout the entire uh, talent journey. And I think that that has been a game changer for us because it has helped us to attract more aligned candidates who have um, the best chance of being successful in our workplace based on those core values, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And now I have a question <laughs> around uh, dress. Because Brian talked about, you know, how sometimes it's okay to wear jeans and then you have to dress a certain way to go to a certain place. How do you address this with your clients? Because on one hand, we're also saying we want everybody to be themselves <laughs> at work, right? But if you come to work in flip-flops or you come to work in a crop top and somebody doesn't know that that's not necessarily the right way to dress, but it's themselves. How do we even address something like that? Because that brings out all sorts of stuff that brings out bias that brings out you're trying to tell me what to do you know how would we solve for something like that what do you tell your clients Desiree I don't know if I fully cracked the code on that one because <laughs> you know <laughs> because you know there are there's a there's just a, an understanding for certain industries that are more conservative some are mm -hmm. more liberal I, I started my career in the media industry I worked at really exciting brands like um, NBC Universal Nickelodeon where it was it was a thing to show up at work you know dressed pretty casually um I think that it's important to set expectations and say, you know, based on our industry, this line of business, here's why we dress a certain way. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there is, and it can kind of become a bit of a slippery slope and yeah. could even become an HR issue if the conversation doesn't go right. But I think that there's a certain education and awareness of the industry, the clients, um, and, and all those things that impact how we show up. Um, as a company. So I don't know if I have the, the, the dotted line answer for that, but it really, at this time, it varies from client to client for me. So I think you made a really good point there. And I think it's about communicating those guidelines up front yeah. so that person can make a conscious choice as to whether they want to work for that organization or not, because those are the things that they need to adhere to. So when a discussion is happens maybe later on in the employment to say, hey, that's not appropriate. We actually communicated this to you and you knew this before taking the job. Mm. That could be a solution and a way to alleviate that because those can be some very uncomfortable conversations and can totally go sideways. Yeah, and that, that even kind of comes back to employer brand and employer reputation in general, you know, and yeah. thinking about the images, the messaging that we send to candidates, well, to prospects before they become candidates. So how we're telling the story of our company culture and workplace on our website, on our social media platforms, like candidates are able to see all these things before they ever even decide to apply for a job with their company. So yeah. there's kind of this baseline expectation that and if, if they haven't done that research, fine, but most candidates have 
engaged a company at an event. Maybe they've listened to a podcast. Maybe they've gone on your website and they're like, hmm, you know, it looks cool to work here. Something mm-hmm. drew them in. So again, I think to your point, Sarah, once whatever, whatever perception they have entering into the top of the funnel, I think it's our responsibility to clarify whatever they think the expectations are so that they're set up for <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was an awkward one. I, I I wanted to ask because, you know, I can hear some executives listening to this and going, yeah, but they showed up like this. And then I had a conversation and it went totally sideways. And, you know, not not what we want to do. We want to create solutions. We want to understand the challenges, oh. and the, but we want to create solutions. Brian, you came off mute. I know you want to respond. <laughs> I actually don't want to, but I'm going to anyway. Um, (laughs) The, you know, one of the things that we coach internally a lot and across a bunch of topics is uh, talking about behaviors and outcomes and not intents. Uh, And that, and what that, what that means is instead of, instead of projecting yourself into that person saying, you showed up in this close because you don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. is saying you showing up this choice that you made to 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 show up an x creates y outcome right and you may not like y outcome and whether i agree that it that it's good or bad that it creates that outcome is is somewhat irrelevant but it you know a is going to be b right you show up with the client and you're chewing gum and you know dressed overly casual or overly formal mm-hmm. um, for that client uh, creates that client not wanting to buy from you and calling me and asking for another rep. And whether, you, you know, we might not like that because our internal culture is you do that every day, but that outcome is not about your quality, as, your, your value as a person. Right. And we use, we try to use this in every bit of coaching we do across any topic is mm. it's behaviors and outcomes, not intents and feelings. Yeah. It doesn't always work. Right. But I, yeah, I think you bring up a good, good point because I think part of that is assumption, assumption of somebody's intention. Yes. Kind of goes hand in hand with bias. Yeah. Right. And so I think we need to break, not necessarily break the, I mean, I think we need to break the down the conversation around bias. And then we need to break down the conversation around assumption. Somebody dressing that way means that they don't care or whatever. That's an assumption rather than asking that person, maybe, you know, why did you think it was appropriate and having that conversation? Right. Jonathan, I think, I think you want to jump in here. <laughs> yeah. I, I like what Brian said. It's, you know, for me, it, it's also the, the outcome. And I really look at the, the performance of the person rather than how they're dressed. I mean, for me, I don't meet with a, a lot of clients almost never, but I'm the client for a lot of my suppliers and I meet with them. And a lot of times they, they show up wearing hoodies, showing up wearing T-shirts. Uh, granted, we do a lot of our meetings on Zoom now since we're a, a remote first company. But in the end, I don't really care. I just want them to do a good job, keep me supplied, and you know, really uh, make sure that everything is good with how they're performing. I mm-hmm. don't care how they dress, really. 
I appreciate that. And this kind of brings me to a, a point around what is it the individual's responsibility? So we've talked about the organization's responsibility, but as an individual within a corporation, what is it that's our responsibility as human beings within an organization? Pervy, I know you came off of mute. Um, let's start with you. And I, you might have some stuff to co contribute to the last part of the conversation too. No, honestly, I'll say, so I love the dressing common because, you know, I'm one of these people too. Like I love colorful clothes. I, I, you know, and I've always had to sort of quite what I call edit myself until, you know, a little bit recently, right. Where I have to wear more of the clothes that were just very muted, you know, the black, the grays, the white, you know, and I, I like color, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it's interesting. And I've even seen, I've observed, right. I've had somebody, you know, who shall remain nameless, obviously, uh, who didn't want to hire somebody because they noticed that they, the person came, this woman came to an interview wearing yoga pants. Me, I didn't even know they were wearing yoga pants. I had, mm. like, right? They had traveled from another part of the country. They literally landed, come to our interview, and it was not the reason that I would not hire the person, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so I, you know, so to me, like the clothing and how we look at it, we really have to kind of look at ourselves and say, are we making decisions based on the person's skills and their knowledge and their ability? Are we taking the rest of the things into contact, right? That particular incident will stay with me forever because I just, I was literally floored and, uh, and, you know, and, um, and I, I just, I just, you know, it reminded me how I've had to edit myself not to wear, you know, colorful clothes <laughs> or yeah. my career. So I just think we have to be very, very mindful. What may be acceptable to you may not be acceptable to someone else and vice versa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that brings me back to the point is to what did that person do to set up that other person for success? Did they communicate that yoga pants were not okay in their mind no it's but that's what that's my point right it's so that it goes back to that you know just again you can articulate and communicate but if you can have how much do you get into you will do this you will not do this you will do that you know what i mean there's yeah. this this is where I go back to individual responsibility. I'm all about individual accountability of, you know, understanding for ourselves um, mm -hmm. and both direction, right? And also, you know, thinking in that moment, maybe because you said that they had moved from another country, maybe yeah. there's different culture around what to wear and what not to wear. And maybe that day she, maybe they lost her luggage. Like it, it, this is a part of the conversation is about asking those questions to better understand the mindset. No, absolutely. And that's, I mean, yeah, in that instance, actually, the candidate flew in, you know, for the interview, landed, and that was, you know, and was, were walking around the campus for, you know, near the campus until the interview time, which I think they had about an hour in between, right? And so, mm -hmm. grab the breakfast, and it just, again, it's one of those things, right? But, but, if someone's not open to that, mm -hmm. they're not the candidate in this case, <laughs> you know, if yeah. they're not to that and in their mind somebody wearing yoga pants is unacceptable yeah <laughs> here's somebody like me I didn't even notice I didn't even know they were yoga pants <laughs> yeah yeah well and thinking about the human experience right what is it that we as humans want the other person to feel in our interaction or what do we want to learn about that person and what is it about that person that we have inherent bias around that maybe we want to educate ourselves a little bit more and I think when we talk about individual responsibility that is our individual responsibility ask more questions 
Um, you know, if something triggers me, well, why is that triggering me? But that has nothing to do with that other person. Does it? Oh, sorry, Pervy. Sorry, I was going to say, I'm like, absolutely. I would have absolutely wanted to hire the person, but it, you know, was, I'll say, you know, it was some feedback coming in was to somebody, you know, higher than me. And so he had a point of view and that's kind of what went, right? So it it goes back to, right, the, you know, fear things, right? That said, do we have systems in place that allow- Assumptions. Mm -hmm. That was an assumption. So did not dig deeper on that one. Desiree. Yeah, Pervy's story about the yoga pants actually reminds me of a, a recent a similar encounter with um, with an, an HBCU student. We were recruiting them for an, a fellowship program for one of my clients and got some feedback from one of the regional managers that um, this particular candidate um, was a little bit unprofessional in email communication in terms of having some misspellings. I, they misspelled um, the name of the company. Uh, they also were a little bit late to the interview and had a little bit of challenges with communicating their, their experience in the interview. And granted, I felt like all of those were valid points of concern for the regional manager, but it was a moment to provide some coaching and feedback to them and remind them that the students that we were recruiting from um, those schools, some of them were uh, under a little bit under-resourced. When you think about some PWIs um, and other schools, uh, they have higher endowments. Um, they have these really robust career development centers where you have like four, five, six career counselors, maybe a career counselor for each individual major, um, whereas some HBCUs maybe have one career director for the entire school, don't have enough time to do the, the same professional development training that other students are getting. And I thought it was a really powerful moment because when we shared that feedback, the entire attitude changed because they just did, they were not aware of that. And we're like, you know what? Okay, that point taken. So we kind of met in the middle and said, well, how about we incorporate some programming around these issues while the fellows are with us next summer so that we're grooming them for other opportunities. So I appreciated that story, Furby, because it made me think of that scenario. Yes, and that's that's creativity, that's innovation, that's working together to make it an inclusive place for everyone. And sometimes context matters. And sometimes we forget that context matters. Right. You only can make a decision or, or do your best with what you know at that time. But look at how much that context that you provided actually changed the way people looked at it and thought about that particular person or hiree um, and the change, the impact that that would have made on both sides of the table. Right. Because the next person, the next time that person is sitting on a hiring panel, um, I I can't be certain, but I would think that they will remember that piece of feedback while they're considering another candidate, especially yeah. if they're diverse. Absolutely. Jonathan, do you have any experiences that you would like to share with us um, as far as an inclusive workplace? You know, what has that looked like for you? Have you had any bad experiences? <laughs> um, maybe one bad experience when I was uh, younger in my career. I remember the the HR department of where I work. They they came to me obviously because I, I I look different from most of the people. I'm a black guy, so they said, "Hey, can you go out and uh, try to bring some of your friends into the the company? We'll give you some ball tickets if you do that." I I looked at the I looked at the the person who said that to me, and I said, "You know, uh, I don't really care." I, 
didn't like the ball tickets, but I said, I don't, I don't really want to bring somebody into an environment just for that reason. I don't yeah. care if the person is purple. I don't care what they they look like. I just want them to do a good job and to help help me succeed. So I thought that was just a, a strange comment. And, you know, when I fast forward to where I'm at at Sterling, you know, we have uh, things like uh, drag queen days. And it was, it was pretty cool to really invite this different uh, population that I hadn't really thought much about but just to get their perspective and to really uh, learn from them, I think has really been, you know, really a 180 degree type of turn. Yes. And that's how you learn from people. That's how you learn about other groups of people is really by being put in, in a situation where you can talk to them and you can ask questions and you know, and I think that that's really important for an organization. I think it's also part of the responsibility as us as individuals to be able to share our perspectives and our journey with the people that we work with so that they can better understand who we are. And um, so you can have just better relationships all around. Yeah. Right. Thank you for sharing that. Brian, do you have any experiences of good or bad? Or is there one organization that kind of stands out for you as far as being good at inclusiveness? Well, I can talk about a couple of places where I know that we've failed as a company. Uh, You know, one that comes to mind, which was this year actually, was, you know, there's been a lot of very, very strong emotions around the abortion issue this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have uh, very, very public about my views, which are really important to the story. And a lot of people in the company, you know, agree with me on, on you know, what would be, you know, to some effects in some communities, extremely liberal views. Um, and we had a situation where someone who had role power, who agreed with me, um, you know, was made someone who didn't agree with us feel very feel like his career path was at risk because he had a different view um now uh, you know whether or not you know and the conversation i ended up having was whether or not i agree with that person's view that person is really good at their job right and that person was not bringing that view to the workplace in a way that was unproductive to anyone else it came up at a social event you know and was relatively prompted right um, you know, and that part of this inclusiveness is, you know, accepting a big tent as long as people are working in their professional capacity in a way that's productive. And, you know, it was a learning experience for us that, you know, here's an amazing employee who I very strongly disagree with on what I feel is a very important social topic. But that doesn't mean that that person should not be able to have gainful employment in their life, right? Like it is not my job to punish that person for disagreeing with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that was a, an area where we've, we've been able to rectify it, uh, but where we haven't been, you know, where we made a pretty big mistake in my opinion this year, uh, you know, and, and this is why I'm glad I don't have an HR department that's afraid of getting sued because I shouldn't say things like that out loud, right? But um, yeah, we didn't, I don't think we did a great job there and we had to do a lot of work to fix it and rebuild trust. Uh, yeah. over that 
rebuild uh, the trust is yeah. huge. And I appreciate you for sharing that. I, I have 10 others, but I'll stop. We screw up a lot. Well, <laughs> so. I think you said two. So you can give us the second one. Well, the, the second <laughs> is, you know, when I look at the composition of our board and I look at the composition of our leadership team, um, you know, our board in particular is not a diverse board, mm-hmm. you know, and as a company that raised venture capital, you sometimes your board composition is sometimes a little bit outside of your control because venture capitalists who want to invest in you take board seats and you don't really have a lot of capacity, but, you know, it's something that every time I go to join something like this, you know, I go, people are going to log into our website and, you know, that's not great. And our leadership team is while more diverse than most, you know, there's only, we have a 60 or 70 person company there's only so many angles of diversity you can get. So everyone's always going to find a spot, but those are both areas where I'm not particularly proud of our outcomes, but I'm very, very proud of our efforts. Right. And we're going to do better as we get bigger and we're going to keep doing it. But yeah, the, you know, being able to openly say, Hey, I don't, I'm not okay with where we are on those two topics, you know, I think is important to say that out loud. Yeah. And I think it's important to take a moment here and just appreciate the vulnerability that you've had in this moment to share that with us because there aren't a lot of people out there that would do that. And there are some who would do that that wouldn't back it with action. And I think you do back it with action as well. So I think that this is a moment to celebrate your efforts and celebrate your vulnerability of bringing that to us and just saying, Hey, you know, I wasn't fishing for that, but thank you. I know. (laughs) I know you weren't, but I think it's important because we have to celebrate efforts. I think like I, like we had said earlier, people get too caught up in, I'm not going to do it right. So I'm not going to do it at all. And so it's important for us to honor this moment so that people who are listening to this conversation can say, hey, that's true. I might not be proud of what's happening right now or not proud, but I might not be okay with where I'm at, but the efforts that we've done, I want to celebrate and be proud of. And I know that we're going to continue to do more. So I just, I just wanted to honor that moment. And you're right. You know, I think VC has a long way to go. Venture capital has a long, long way to go. Um, I've experienced it. Brian, you've just mentioned it. And I think it's an area we can, where we can totally improve. Um, and something that I implore that industry to really look inward and do something about. And hopefully that, hopefully they will. It's just my opinion on that. <laughs> All right. I, I think we're going to have to do another episode on that topic too. I, I think we might because that could take a while. <laughs> Jonathan, did you want to say something? No, no, no. I I, I think uh, that's a, a great comment about being vulnerable and just uh, being willing to share. It's important. Yeah, we're not perfect. I think everybody thinks that, you know, professionally, we have to be these perfect people, these perfect human beings This is going to do everything right. And we're, we're, we don't, we're, we don't, we don't give the space to ourselves or maybe other people to make mistakes. And I think it's important that we give that space to everybody, including ourselves. And we do need to hold ourselves to a certain standard. Um, but I think we also have to give ourselves grace if we do make a mistake or say something wrong or, or whatever. And I think we need to do that for everybody. So 
in saying that, um, I think we've come to the end of the, the conversation. We have covered so much today. And I want to ask each of you to end this conversation with one takeaway. What's one thing that you would like somebody to walk away with from this conversation, either thinking about putting into action, um, really anything. So Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I think, you know, I've learned a lot of things, but if I had to pick one, it would be, don't be afraid to try. Try. You, you might it. make a mistake, but you got to learn from that mistake, move on and do better the next time. But you've got to start by trying. Love that. Thank you for that. Pervy. A lot of interesting learnings. I would say the one really for me is just about being open to learning, right? Being yeah. having that mind to learn and we can really help each other if we could just do that. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Desiree. I would say um, don't be afraid to lean on, you know, your partners and, and other internal stakeholders just for support. Um, sometimes this work can be a little siloed and, um, you know, the great thing about having uh, people working alongside us who have different lived experiences is that we can, you know, leverage that to uplift this work together. So um, approach it with a spirit of collaboration. Love that. Everybody knows I like collaboration is the future of business. <laughs> I say that all the time. <laughs> Last but absolutely not least, Brian. Oh, I'm just going to say on those yoga pants, right? Be who you are. Love it. Be fabulous. It's that's be the world you want to live in and the rest will usually take care of itself. Absolutely. Let's empower each other to be vulnerable and to make those mistakes, but to do better next time. I love it. Thank you so much to Desiree, Jonathan, Pervy and Brian. For joining me today, this is definitely a topic we could talk about all day. There are so many nuances to it, but ultimately we all need to remember why it's so important to foster inclusive workplaces. Studies have shown that a diverse workforce can improve the bottom line of a business, lead to happier and more productive teams, and drive innovation among employees. And to reap the benefits of a diverse workforce, employers must ensure that recruitment strategies reach candidates regardless of gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, disability, or socioeconomic background. So more has to be done to develop the right cultures that attract and retain diverse talent. Don't forget that you can reach out to me or any of the guests on social media if you have anything else that you would like to add about what we've talked about today. And remember to join us again next time for episode 30 of Blended, where we'll be talking about classism. It's a potentially controversial topic, but we've never let that stop us before. So make sure that you don't miss it. Thank you so much to everybody for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey everyone. Bye.